I'd like for us to kneel together for prayer in light of that last song. Just humble ourselves before the Lord in prayer. We do that at this time. Lord God in heaven, we thank you for that rich word that came to us, Lord, this morning. Thank you for the penetrating word of God. Lord, we humble ourselves before you, Lord, this morning. If my people, which we would like to believe we are, we're your people. Even though we're from many different congregations, we're here I believe for the most part because we believe God. We believe your word. We're gathered here in Jesus' name this morning, Father. We are your people, the sheep of your pastor. You've called us, Lord. We've heard your call. We've come from the east, the west, the north, and the south to the Lord. And Lord, we've gathered here in this place together corporately this morning to hear your word, Lord. We humble ourselves before our maker this morning. You have, as some say, the all-seeing eye. God's all-seeing eye. As we heard so clearly from the scriptures, Lord, we cannot hide anything from you this morning. Lord, we thank you for For your offer, Lord, that even though you see our sinfulness, you see our need, you offer help. You give a remedy. You give an invitation to come into your presence in and through the name of Jesus. Having blood, his blood upon the mercy seat. We approach that mercy seat this morning, God, as a congregation. And we say, Lord, work in our hearts. Work in our hearts, Lord. Give strength to do what your holy finger is pointing at in our hearts, Lord. If it means to make something right, make restitution, to confess something, Lord, you know, we all know what God's finger is pointing at. This morning. Lord, we thank you for what we heard, and I pray that I wouldn't take away from all that was shared with us, Lord, what you have on my heart to share. I pray for help, Lord, to preach. I pray for grace to preach, Lord. I pray for great grace to, to hear more. We've heard heard much truths already, Lord, and help me to speak. And teach your truths, Lord. God, we fear you. You are the one with whom we have to do. Lord, each one of us will stand before God to give an account someday of how we lived our lives, Lord. And thank you for the, for the grace this morning, Lord. Thank you for the mercy. And we come to your throne boldly, Father, to find grace and help in time of need. Thank you, God. Lord, we also know there's an enemy lurking who wants to do great damage to us, Lord. First of all, he wants to come and steal the word that was preached to us and take it away. Oh, God. And then he wants to condemn us or in any all his other tactics that he has against us. Lord, we pray that you would, you would protect us this morning as we sit here. And allow the word to fall on good soil, Lord, this morning. We pray these things, O Father, in Jesus' precious name. Amen.
Well, it's been a pretty long time since I was your age, students. I never had the chance to be at a place like this immediately after I was converted at the age of 18, but uh, I did I did make it. I did find help for the journey along the way, but you're blessed this morning in case you don't know it. The things you heard, I hope stirred in your heart a deep desire to go after those things and not let them slip. Because there's many today that don't have the privilege that you do. We hear so much and are privileged with so much here in America. And maybe I'll say a little more about that a little later on. But as I was praying and thinking about sharing this morning to, to the congregation here and probably figured it would be largely made up of younger people, I'm going to speak to you this morning as I don't have a, a, a much uh, preaching schedule or I, I'm not involved in teaching as much this year at the Bible school, so I'm going to take my opportunity this morning to maybe... Not entirely, I'm sure all of us can get something out of the word here that I have on my heart, but I have you in in focus this morning as young people. And my mind went to Timothy in the Bible when I thought of talking to young people. And I'd just like to give a little bit of a background to the young man, Timothy, that we know of in the Bible, Paul's helper, Paul's young disciple, And then later on, Paul put him in charge of a church there in Ephesus. And then we have the two books written to Timothy while he was there in Ephesus. But I thought it would be good to go back and just give a little bit of a background to Timothy. As much as we have, we don't have a lot of Timothy's background. But I thought it would be good for us to connect that way because I believe in, in, to a large extent, I'm probably preaching to a group of youth that, that, uh, that can relate to Timothy in this, in this respect. We are told that Timothy had a grandmother and a mother that believed. And I'd like for you to raise your hand if you were, if you were one of those that had the privilege to be, to be taken to church on your mother's lap ever since you were little. Raise your hand if you were one of those. All of us, actually all of us that are in here, not just students. Keep your hand up. Very few of us are here that weren't taken to church. There may be a very few as little ones. And most of us probably had grandmothers at least that feared God. And the influence that that had on us, I believe, is, is very significant. I don't think we should look at that lightly. To have the influence of godly parents and, and grandparents. Paul tells us in another place that Timothy had the privilege from a child to know the Holy Scriptures. And many of us here today, I'm sure, were taught to memorize Scriptures from little up. And Paul said, he said, these Scriptures are able to make thee wise unto salvation. Through which is, uh, let me read the whole verse here. And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation, through which is it in Christ Jesus. I think I have that written wrong. But anyway, we, we know the verse there. We're privileged and blessed to have scriptures as foundational foundation in our lives and don't take that lightly I don't know an actual percentage but the people that actually come to the Lord later on in life those that weren't brought up with godly parents those that didn't have the scriptural influence the 
percentage is, is, is a lot less that those come to the Lord, number one, and then stay with the Lord. There's a tremendous privilege and blessing in having godly grandparents and parents. And, and we should often thank the Lord for that. But Timothy had that privilege. I'm not sure when his mother and grandmother actually came to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It could have been one of those huge revival breakouts that happened there in the early church that Timothy's grandmother already being God-fearing, most likely, heard about this going on and went and believed the gospel and then passed that faith on to Timothy. It says they had unfeigned faith, sincere faith. But I want to hasten to say this morning that God does not have any grandchildren. You know, it would be kind of strange to, for us, for people to say, Oh, grandfather, in their prayers. I know you through my father. We know that doesn't sound right. God wants every one of us to personally have him as our father. Even though many of us had the benefit and the privilege of having parents and grandparents that pointed us that way. And, and, and spoke to us and, and, and uh, embraced us up, if you will, in our weak times and said, this is the way, walk ye in it. But all of us had to come to the place where we received God as our own personal father. God has no grandchildren. Oh, grandfather. That's, a, that's, that's not a nice way to address God. He wants all of us to say, oh, Father, our heavenly Father, my heavenly Father, amen, my heavenly Father. We learn from the scriptures that Timothy's mother was a Jew and his father was a Greek. And we're not sure what happened with Timothy's father, but there's hardly anything said more than this about him. We know that Timothy must have been fairly young when Paul first met him or when he met Paul because some years later, Paul puts him in charge of the church at Ephesus and he says, he speaks about his youthfulness. Let no man despise thy youth. So was he, was he a teenager when, when he first met Paul? I'm not sure. I'm not sure, but Timothy was, was quite a man. I want you to listen to Paul's testimony of this young man. Just listen. Paul is writing to the Philippians and he's getting ready to send this young man to the church there with this testimony. And I'd like for you to think about this. Could this be you, young man? And, and a lot of these principles apply to the sisters as well. Usefulness. Young people that have taken their calling serious. God called you to himself to be a Christian. And that call is, is a serious call. And Timothy, in that huge crowd of revival that broke out somewhere, there sat Timothy and he saw these apostles and disciples preaching. And God was working in his heart. And sometime later, they came together, Paul and Timothy. And Paul had his eye on that young man ever since. He saw something valuable in that young man. And I challenge you this morning, young men, particularly here on this point, could you be that young man? And this is the testimony that Paul is writing to the, to the Philippians about Timothy. Just trying to figure out where I want to break in here in Philippians. But he says, but I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timotheus, Timothy, shortly unto you. That I also may be of good comfort when I know your state. For I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state. For all seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ. But ye know the proof of him, talking about Timothy, that as a son with the father, he hath served with me in the gospel. 
Him, therefore, I hope to send presently, so soon as I shall see how it will go with me. But I trust in the Lord that I also, me, myself, shall come shortly. Here was a young man that was dedicated to serve the Apostle Paul in such a way. He was a man after Paul's own heart, if you will. He was dedicated to serve to the, so much so that Paul said, I have no one else that is so like-minded as Timothy. He says, the others seek their own things, their own agendas. I tell you, young men, the church has need and the church would prosper with young men, a group of young men like this that would set themselves to serve God in such a way. How can I support? How can I be there? God, I, I, I'm willing to do the most menial task. I want to do it for you, Lord Jesus. I just want to be there, not having mine own agenda. I just want to serve. Is there anything I can do for you, preacher? Is there any prayer request that you have for me? I'll pray for you. Is there any service I can do for you? I just want to be there. What a testimony. Yeah, there's a church over there in Philippi that has some needs. Maybe we could send you over there and you could share with them my burden. That's in essence what Paul did. What a calling. Are you there, young men? Is God stirring in your heart to serve God that way, to serve God's people that way? What a testimony. And that is true for, for all the brothers, I believe, should have that kind of heart, that together we can make a difference in the kingdom of God. He describes how, how, how well Paul, how well Timothy knew Paul. Listen to this. <clears throat> Timothy must have spent a lot of time with Paul, and he knew Paul well. This is just kind of an introduction to the message still here. Just a backdrop on Timothy's life. After describing the last days, Paul here to Timothy, that the last days shall be perilous. Christians will be becoming weak. They will lose their strength in the perilous times, Paul told Timothy. Men shall be lovers of themselves and so on. He goes down over that list, covetous, proud. Last time, without natural affection, traitors, high-minded, lovers of pleasures and so on. But then he says, but Timothy, you know me, but thou hast fully known my doctrine, my manner of life, Timothy. Brethren, how well do you know your preacher? How well do you know your father, his desires, his convictions, his purposes, his motivations? Timothy, thou hast fully known my doctrine, my manner of life, my purpose, my faith, my long suffering. You know how I shed tears. You know how I was patient with those people. Timothy, you were with me. You know my love, you know my patience, and you know my persecutions. Timothy, you know the afflictions. This is all in this list here in, in, in Second Timothy. Which came unto me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra. You know what persecutions I endured, but out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. All that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall per suffer persecution. <clears throat> Timothy knew his, his leader. What a challenge Timothy is. He was a very young man at this point yet. Well... Here we are at the brink of, of another Bible school, a lot of teaching coming your way.
And God's plan for his people has not changed. There's two things that haven't changed in life. There's two things that have not changed at all. God's plan for his people. If my people which are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways and so on, then will I hear from heaven. I believe that principle carries over to the New Testament. Ask, uh, ask and ye shall receive, seek and ye shall find, knock and the door shall be open un- unto you. James says, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. That's one thing that hasn't changed with God. If my people, God's plan for his people has not changed even here in 2020. And the second thing that hasn't changed, dearly beloved, is Satan's plan for God's people. You believe that? You believe that, brothers? Satan's plan for God's people has not changed. He hates righteousness. He hates a group of people like this gathered together with the intention of being being strengthened and equipped in Christ Jesus. Let me assure you this morning, he hates that. Satan does. And don't doubt it. I don't believe Satan is, is, is all-knowing, but I wouldn't doubt it that he knows what's going on this week here. And he knows your good intentions and your desires. Satan's plan for mankind, for God's people, has not changed. And we talked about persecution here. All they that live, all that, let me see if I can turn my eyes to, yea, all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Didn't Paul know? Didn't he know that in America in 2020, we will have freedom of religion? Was Paul mistaken? Well, I went on Voice of Martyrs website last night and there's people suffering physical persecution today as we sit here. They are. In Iran, I, I, I hear that the, the church is growing in leaps and bounds today underground. They are baptizing people in the shower stall. Showing a picture of a man with a bucket or a, a, a basin dousing a fellow in the shower stall, baptizing him in Jesus today. Well, why, well, while we don't have to do that here in America, there is persecution to those who live godly in Christ Jesus. I believe there is. To a greater or lesser degree, you set your desires, you set your, you determine that you're going to live godly in Christ Jesus, you will suffer a form of persecution. I promise you, even here in America. While Satan's plan for God's people has not changed, his tactics may have in America. We may not be threatened this morning with the authorities coming in these doors because we have a religious meeting going on here. But in Iran, they would. And while they're meeting today or whenever they meet, they meet in basements, in caves, and wherever. No one sees them. They meet secretly because they know that they will be persecuted and maybe even killed if they get caught. So what do we do with this verse here? All that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Well, I, 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 I don't know when more severe persecution is coming upon us here in America. I don't know when that will be. 
Paul, according to Paul's list here, I'm, I'm sure we're, we're in the last days because the list fits our day that we just read. Just think we're living in a world. Well, let me back up. I think one of Satan's tactics that are upon God's people is that you can, be, you can profess to be a Christian and, and almost get by with anything you want in our world today. Even to the point of sodomy. You can be a sodomite and find yourself some professing Christian church if you look hard enough. And so if you want to be a real true Christian and stand up against that, you will suffer a form of persecution. Maybe a little closer to home, what about divorce? That thing, you can find many professing Christian churches that tolerate divorce. And maybe even a few that endorse it. And, and allow it to happen in their midst. Stand up against that and you will begin to become more in the minority than in the majority of, of true Christians in our world today. What about worldly pleasures? Lust of the flesh. Where does this reach us? Where, does these, where do these verses impact us? What does John mean when he talks, he that is a friend of the world is at enmity with God? Where do we apply these things? That, 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 that three-point message there in, in, in 1 John 3, I believe it is. What is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life? And where do we apply that to our lives? And where are we willing to say, I can't go there, I can't do that? Yes, you can look out there and there are hordes of people doing it, right? And for those of us that were at the leadership seminar, Joe Tindall was preaching, and he was preaching about drift. And he said, drift is, is, is uh, and he used the illustration of, of boats out on, out on a river. And there's maybe a half a dozen boats there, and they're all, they're all, they have their thing in drift because they're just fishing, and they're all drifting along. And as long as you compare yourselves with the other boats, things are staying the same. Because you're all drifting, right? But you put your anger down and you say, this is as far as I'm going to go. All of a sudden, the difference gets very stark and clear. And you stop and the other boats keep going. Or you look on shore and you look at a tree that's not moving and you say, we're drifting, and if you stand up against that kind of thing and you make application of these scriptures, you will suffer persecution at least from your own flesh. If we can call that persecution, I believe we can. Andrew's testimony this morning, his flesh did not want to make that restitution. He had to crucify that. That's maybe where it starts. And it just gets bigger from there. As we stand up and proclaim and say, I have convictions. I can't do this. What does the Bible say about this? All of a sudden, we see, hey, we aren't in sync with the other boats. And persecution. Come on. We're all Christians. What are you talking about? That type of thing. That is what we are facing in this world. Do you think that persecution keeps some people from coming to the Lord in Iran and China these days? I think it probably does. I think they look at that and say, wow, it's too big a price. Me being cast out of my home, me being disowned from my family, maybe even being put to prison, maybe even being killed. I'm not ready. That's, that's probably happening. At the leadership seminar, we heard of a story of a man that was on the, on the, on the, on the stake, being burned at stake. And he, and if I remember the story right, anyway, he recanted and they, they, they took him away, the, took him down. The, the pain was too big. And he died soon thereafter anyway. But while that was happening, a young girl 
stood up and said something, thou fool. And, and she, she stood up and, and openly expressed her testimony and was immediately uh, killed, if I remember the story right. So I believe, I believe, dearly beloved, I'm not sure which is worse. The physical, literal persecution of Iran and, and China that they're facing or the freedom and ease and mediocrity and lukewarmness in, our, in America. I'm not sure which is worse upon the Christian. But one thing I know, I believe the true Christian can make it in both, in both areas. But I believe it has to be a serious decision made in both areas. I believe if we're going to make it in the outward physical severe persecution, we better be able to make it over here in the ease of America. But it's probably not much easier because after all, look at all the boats. They're all floating and they have a Christian sign on the side of them, many of them. And who wants to stand up against that? Oh, Timothy, you know my life. Timothy, you know what I preached. You know how I lived. You know my purpose. Imagine spending the evening with the Apostle Paul before he goes to bed. Imagine hearing him pray. Tears streaming down his face for the churches. Timothy, you know, you know my manner of life. You know what motivates me. Oh, Timothy. Well, the Bible describes the life of a true Christian, a follower of Jesus, as a life of watchfulness. Okay? Whether here in America or in the other side of the globe where, where you can't serve God openly. It doesn't matter. The Bible depicts a Christian life as one of watchfulness. Amen? As one of pursuing something. Blessed to be envied are those that hunger and thirst after righteousness. This is not a kick back and recline attitude. The Bible depicts the true Christian life as a fight. The Bible depicts the true Christian life as a race. So run that ye might obtain, young people. The Bible depicts the true Christian life as a journey on a narrow way through a strange land here to heaven. Yeah, we're not to be too at home here, brothers and sisters. We're not to get too used to all the world's things. We're supposed to remain a bit strange here. That's what the Bible depicts the true Christian life. Jesus said, watch and pray lest ye enter into temptation. The spirit truly is ready, but the flesh is weak. Now we come to the title of the message here this morning. Fight the good fight of faith. Fight the good fight of faith. This fight of faith is good because it is for the glory of God. And for eternity, the pleasures and the fight and, and the trophies of this world are temporal and short-lived. But brothers and sisters and young people, this fight is a good fight because it is eternal and for the glory of God. Oh, I encourage you in this, this excuse me, this morning. This fight is good because God is for us. And if God be for us, who can be against us? This fight is good because we can be overcomers. Hallelujah. This fight is good because the contest is over the faith which was once delivered to the saints. This is a good fight this morning. And you can turn with me now for our text, and I promise not to go too long here. 1 Timothy chapter 6. 
First Timothy chapter 6, verse 11. Fight the good fight of faith. I, uh, maybe I'll say this. As Andrew was preaching there, and of course he was preaching on rest, and I'm thinking of preaching on fighting. And how do those, how do those, uh, how do those work together? And I, I got this picture in my mind. I, I, I saw Elijah there on Mount Carmel with the prophets of Baal. And if you want to see someone that was energetic and into it and shouting and giving it all they, and, and anything but the picture of rest, it was the prophets of Baal. They shouted, they jumped, they, they, they waved, and they went at it, and they did all these things, commotions, cut themselves till the blood flowed. They labored to no avail. And then here's old Elijah resting in the goodness of God. Oh, God, send the fire. You know, I think that's the rest that God wants us to have. We will come across a verse, I think, sometime here that says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. Kind of the same idea, maybe, where, where what, what Andrew was saying there. You know, there is a holy dissatisfaction. We are not content to just let anything go. It's not that kind of contentment. We work. We labor. We fight. But all the time we have this heavenly contentment in our hearts. Amen. This satisfaction that the world can't give. You know what I'm saying? It's beautiful. And from that platform we work. Oh God. This is your work. We pray. We rest in the Lord. Okay. First Timothy 6 verse 11. But thou, O man of God. Let's just stop there. Do we have any men of God today? Can we have men of God today? Paul was saying this to Timothy, a relatively young man. But thou, O man of God. Aren't the men of God just the old saints back there? Or some, some old man with a long beard? Could it be a young man like this that sits here today that has gotten a hold of the grace of God that knows what it means to pray in his closet or a young woman? What's his name in Acts had had some young ladies that prophesied. O thou woman of God that knows what it is to get in your closet, having God's rest upon your heart, you, you, you are a, you are a, what's the word that I just shared not long ago? Content. You are content in God. Oh, thou man of God, could we have men and women of God today? Flee these things. He had quite a list here. He just got off of riches and all the things of this world, but I believe it's more than that. He goes back uh, quite a... Quite a, quite a message that, that he had shared with him before this. So he asked this man of God to flee certain things. But thou, O man of God. Let me back up here, finish my point on man of God. Could this be said of us? Shouldn't this be our desire to be men and women of God? I'm, I'm, I'm convinced it is for, for many of us here. Shouldn't this be what we are striving to be? Men and women who have taken God for their portion. Those that have cast their lot with the people of God. We've turned our back on this world. And we, we, we are all in it for God's glory. Those that are seeking a city whose foundations 
that has foundations whose builder and maker is God. O thou man of God. Think about it, dearly beloved, being God's man or God's woman of our day. Doesn't the Bible say in 2 Chronicles 16, 9, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of those whose heart is perfect toward him. Yes, it does. Will you be that man? There was a couple of times in the Bible where God was seeking for a man and didn't find any. A man to stand in the gap and he couldn't find any. Number two, the Bible says that we should flee things. Flee like Joseph did. Pursue after godliness like Paul did. To flee means to run away, to shun, to follow after, to pursue, means to persecute. We are to flee the love of money. We are to flee fornication and, can I say, everything around that in America. All the things that promote that and facilitate that and excite that spirit. Young people, we are to flee from that. To flee from the spirit of it. There are many things that lead up to fornication. Many lesser things, if you will. Paul says, flee those things. We are to flee from idolatry, loving other things more than Jesus Christ. It is good to every now and then to look at our lives and say, do I have things that I love more than Jesus? Would I turn my back on Jesus for this? Or if I were called to give up this for Jesus, would I, fight, would I take Jesus? If not, that's idolatry. We are to flee idolatry. Things that we love more. We don't set idols up anymore like Buddha and these things or any other idols, but there are many idols. There are. We are to look at those things and say, no. If I just want to, I just want these things for the reason that they're made to have and not have your heart on them. You know, it's what it means to be part of this, to be in this world, but not of it. Right, Brother Darrell? That's what it means. We need to be in this world and have things, but so easily they can, they can get their way into our hearts and they become an idol. So every now and then we need to just house, do house cleaning. That's what it means to fight the good fight of faith. Do house cleaning. We are to flee youthful lust. Boy, you can think about that. What does that all mean? All the things that youth are tended towards and tempted in. You make the application. Flee these things. We are to follow after the things which make for peace and edify one another. Being peacemakers. Hallelujah. Blessed are the peacemakers. We are to follow after love. 1 Corinthians 14.1. Follow after charity. We are to follow after that which is good. Stay away from the questionable things. We are to fight the good fight of faith. Verse 11. But thou, O man of God, flee these things and follow after righteousness. We are to fight the good fight of faith, lay hold on eternal life. This depicts to us that the Christian life is a fight. It's a good fight. Adam Clark says this, thou hast, listen to this young people. All of us, for that matter, we have a contest. Thou hast a contest to sustain in which thy honor, thy life, and thy soul are at stake. This is the fight we're talking about. Oh, that none of us come short of this fight. Of this fight. That we lose the fight of losing our honor as a Christian. A good name is rather to be chosen than great riches. Oh, to sin. To mar your testimony with sin is to lose the honor that you have as a Christian. Dearly beloved. Fight on. Make the applications. See that thing when it's small young men. Say, I will not give my honor away for this. 
your testimony. Oh, dearly beloved. And then when your honor goes, your life is next and your soul may be taken if you're not careful with it. So you are to pursue righteousness, things that are right. Things that are right. Pursue righteousness here in verse in verse uh, 11. I know it's wrong to be pharisaical. I know it's wrong to be self-righteous, but beware of that hidden attitude down in, in your heart that sometimes looks at someone else and says, ah, they think they're a goody-goody. You know, be, be aware, be careful of that attitude. It's wrong to be self-righteous. It's wrong to be self-pharisaical, but it's right to, be, to seek to, do, to live righteously. That's what you want to do. Jesus was righteous in everything. He says, pursue godliness, piety. Some people don't like that word, piety, holiness. But we all with open face beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the spirit of the Lord. It's right to be like Jesus. Don't be ashamed of being like Jesus. Pursue faith. We heard a lot about faith this morning. Pursue faith. It says here in verse 12 or verse 11, follow after faith. That, I, I translate that to, to flesh out moral convictions. Have conviction. Follow after love, agave love. Don't let bitterness or coldness in your heart be there for a long time. Deal with it. Grudges towards someone. Deal with it. That's the good fight of faith. This may not stay in a Christian. Do it before the sun goes down. Fan the flame of love in your heart for fellow Christians. We are to pursue this kind of love. Be kindly affection one toward another with brotherly love. The next one is patience. Fighting the good fight of patience. Cheerful endurance. Hudson Taylor said, Quiet waiting before God would save many from a mistake and from many a sorrow if we learn patience. Patience is letting God choose the time for reaping the fruit of my labors. Follow after patience, meekness, gentleness, humility. Meekness is strength under God's control. This is something to pursue after. We learn this. This doesn't all come with conversion. Sometimes some comes with it, but there, we need more. And so you pursue to learn meekness. Jesus said, uh, I should be able to quote it, but I'm going to turn there. And we are just coming down to my final point here. Jesus said, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For I am meek and lowly in heart. This is a good thing to strive for, brothers and sisters. A good thing to strive for. Godliness with contentment. Is great gain. You know, it's, 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 it'd be hard to be yoked up with Jesus and not be meek. It would be like a team of horses, and we used to do this. When you have a team of horses, you have a lead horse. And Jesus is okay with some of this, I think, because he's the ultimate example. Jesus is a lead horse. Well, you need a lead horse in a team, and so you'd, you'd, you'd hitch up a young colt or an unbroken one to the old lead horse. And that lead horse would lead the way. And he would kind of, yeah, the, the, the young colt would be all over the place and bucking and Carrying on, but the lead horse would just plod along. And after a while, the young colt would learn that this is the way to go. You're not going to have, I'm not going to have my own way. That's how it is with Jesus. 
If you claim to be yoked up with Jesus, you're going you're gonna to learn to be meek or you're going to have a rough time. Amen? You're going to be all over the place and he just plods along meekly and lowly in heart. So that's something that we need to learn. And I leave you with this thought here. The tree that bears the fruit of contentment has under it the root of surrender. This week, as you sit under the Lord's word, and you hear probably many things that you heard before, and maybe some new things that God would reveal to your heart, just sit there with a surrendered heart. Say, Lord, I'm willing. I'm willing to do whatever you ask me to do. Respond to God's promptings. I'm sure you will never be sorry for that. Fighting the good fight of faith. I hope, as you think of Timothy's life, I hope that was an encouragement to you. That was my heart, that you would be inspired by the life of Timothy to to be that man, O man of God. Don't be like those disciples that like 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 Peter there in John, the last chapter of John when when Jesus showed up after his resurrection, and Peter was talking John excuse me, Jesus was talking to Peter and and he was saying, Peter, do you love me? He says, Yeah, feed my sheep, and that goes on, then he's then he says, Follow me, Peter. So they start walking and Peter looks around and says, What but but Jesus, what about this guy back here? What about him? Jesus said, don't worry about him. You follow me. And I, I give you that. Don't have that attitude this week. Well, what about my friends? Jesus is saying, you follow me. You fight this good fight of faith. You, you, you just deal with your own heart and you'll be very happy. You'll be very happy. I promise you. Well, God bless you with those words. I pray that God would uh, give, give the increase. What a blessing. Mm-hmm. <clears throat>